Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Beat, the only Arsenal podcast which brings together the journalists and reporters who cover the club on a regular basis. This is our fifth special and on the second anniversary of Arsenal winning the WSL title, welcome to Ending the Seven Year Wait. I'm Molly Hudson from The Times and alongside The Guardian Susie Rapp, we will be bringing you analysis and insight into what made Arsenal a success in the 2018-19 season. Manager Joe Montemuro has announced he'll be leaving the club at the end of the current campaign, but the Australian was instrumental in delivering the title, as Art Deroche from The Athletic explains. So thinking back to 2017, November, December, when Joe Montemuro actually arrived at the club, obviously a very new face considering he's coming from almost, I guess, 9,000 miles away in Australia and I guess I I didn't know too much about him at the time I'm not sure if uh, fans did at the time or just uh, people covering English women's football in general but I think what was very clear early on was how holistic he was in his approach he's spoken about that throughout his time at Arsenal even um, when it was announced that he would be leaving um, the club at the end of this season that word was still something that he was very big on and I think his style on the Arsenal way, the way that kind of married up was just how um, how how much he optimised every player in his squad. Uh, I think in, in his first season, which was obviously a half season in the 2017-18 campaign, you had Beth Mead who arrived at Arsenal as a central striker and he pretty much immediately moved her out to the right wing. And I think that was something where you're looking at it and then it's like, at first you're probably a bit confused by that, considering how prolific uh, Beth Mead was at Sunderland as well. And I think um, just the way he he looked to utilise everyone in that squad to their best abilities probably signi- signifies that Arsenal way that he likes to talk about so much, but also the fact that he came in and wanted to, I guess, stabilise how the club was running as well, I think both in terms of on and off pitch um he he looked to, to kind of bring back the i guess traditions we'll call it of arsenal football club which were obviously more stable in the in the 20th century early 21st century but then had a little bit of a a moment of hmm, what's the word maybe indecision in the uh, mid 2010s and then he's probably come in and with the kind of overall looking at the bigger picture kind of philosophy, he's kind of helped steer the ship and get Arsenal back to a place where they can compete for both the the Champions League places, but also the WSL title, which of course they won in 2019. I think it had a massive impact, the fact that he was an Arsenal fan, because even just covering the club, you could see that he wanted to have fun with it, I think. Uh, when uh, yourself, Molly, asked him uh, what it was like to be an Arsenal fan and manager, he he's kind of said that he couldn't believe that he was employed by the club. And I think you kind of got that vibe from him, not that he was, say, he not that he had an inferior complex or anything like that, but I just think that he went into it looking to have fun, but also he was very aware of the club that he was managing um, or better words, head coach of, uh, because that's his actual title. But I think, um, yeah, the fact that he was an Arsenal fan maybe helped him 
also identify with uh, the needs of the club in a footballing sense, but also um, connecting with the fans very quickly as well, because that was something that was very evident at the time, how quickly he was over to, to make that connection with fans, um, which of, of, obviously has this, uh, has better days uh, when, when he's winning titles and then tougher days when, when they're challenging for the Champions League and maybe it, it's a bit tough on whether they will actually achieve that. But I think um, he understood very much, very well, uh, his position uh, within the club in terms of a managerial sense. But being that fan, and I know what, yeah, as well when he was talking to you, he spoke about uh, Liam Brady being one of his uh, influences and stuff growing up. And I think, um, that really shone through in his work in terms of both, again, both on and off the pitch. If we think back to the time where Arsenal were, his Arsenal were about to break that seven-year wait for the WSL title, he didn't really play up that much, I don't feel. Um, there was, of course, the expectation that it would happen because of how dominant Arsenal were throughout the season, especially after... Uh, winning 5-0 at Chelsea earlier on in the campaign. After that, they kind of just went to another level. And of course, even though Jordan Nobbs got injured during that season, they still were able to find ways to win. And I think um, what was key to that was, yes, uh, in terms of speaking to us, uh, Joe was very laid back. But I think that really kind of um, transferred over to the players as well, where they didn't look at any point as if they were say rushing rushing themselves on the pitch making forced decisions it felt very um very natural the way they were playing there were times where <laughs> um week you probably couldn't guess what the starting 11 was going to be or what shape they were going to play in there were times where it was a back three times where it was a back four midfield diamond or just a midfield three and i think the the fact that uh joe and the team were able to do that probably speaks to just how um, how natural it was at that time in terms of not being too too focused on on winning the league for the first time in seven years, but just going about football in their way. And I think that that's probably um, a really important part of say that that season uh, and kind of bringing bringing together what's been I guess uh, a plan <laughs> since uh, since Montemurro took charge and bring that stability that as you mentioned uh, was lost a little bit uh, in the previous regime. The way that he looked at the squad I guess he one thing with Montemurro is, is that he likes to have a very small squad uh, that's maybe uh, been to his detriment in the past 12 months where uh, not just Arsenal, but football as a whole has been hit by the pandemic. And with injuries, you see just how important it is to have depth in the squad. But at that time in particular, having the um, the courage, I guess is the word, to look at Katie McCabe and Lisa Evans and say, okay, you're wingers naturally, but I'm going to use you as attacking fullbacks and have them... Um, kind of just accept that idea at first without having played at fullback th that much beforehand. And then also being willing to, I guess, 
push themselves forward in in those aspects as well. I think that was something in that season in particular that helped massively because when you look at um, Katie McCabe's output, I guess, there were times where she was playing on the right wing, creating goals, playing at, on the left wing, creating goals, playing at left back, creating goals. And then you think of Birmingham away where she scores off the right wing again <laughs> um, to secure Champions League football at the time. Of course, she scored again uh, on the day that won them the league at Brighton, um, almost playing as a left wing, I think, on the day. Um, and that's where just knowing the squad and knowing the strengths of each player comes into play a, a lot. And I think, yeah, Katie McCabe's probably the, the the main example of how he's done that. But you've got examples like Leah Williamson as well, playing centre-back and playing in central midfield, mostly at the start of last season. So the 2019-2020 campaign. But you've also got Leah Walty is doing the same thing now in, in Leah Williamson's absence. And then you've got uh, uh, Beth Mead again, and Caitlin Ford, who are now essentially wide forwards. And I think um, that's where, I guess, the idea, the thinking brain that he's got, he's always looking for solutions. And um, even if they're not conventional <laughs> to, to most people watching in English football, especially, um, I think that's something that has probably set him apart from other managers, even though, say, Emma Hayes has... Um, built something really special at Chelsea. Um, it's probably been in a little bit more of a conventional way, if that's okay to say. <laughs> and I think one thing I remember talking to Joe about um, when the Arsenal were starting that Champions League run was that he did his coaching badges in Italy. Um, and he was talking about how the way they viewed the game, it was very much about... Um, I've actually got the quote here. Uh, he said it was a great place to to learn and create a base for myself. The Italians are very crafty and it's all about 90 minutes of football, not just good 10 minute periods. And I think that's, that's a little nugget which gives a lot of insight into the way he thinks about football, not just in terms of a match day, but as we mentioned earlier, the holistic approach, approach to how, how a club is formed. Art talked there about how pivotal Joe Montemoro was to that title-winning season, but following the announcement that he's leaving at the end of the season, it feels very much as though all the players were really disappointed. Obviously, us as the press back were, it was almost a little bit emotional on the, the Zoom call we had with Joe. Do you feel as though almost he's he's only being recognised as, as being so influential to Arsenal now that he's actually leaving, Susie? Oh, the grass is always greener, isn't it? Like, um, yeah, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. All the cliches. No, um, hearing Art talk uh, like that and remind us of some of the conversations that we've had with Joe where he's talked about being a fan, as an Arsenal fan myself, obviously, uh, like, hits me in the right place. Um, I, you know, I think it... I, I, It's hard, isn't it? Because I don't think he's necessarily been... Um, underestimated during his tenure, um, and I think he, you know, that his his success was triggered by that that critical Continental Cup victory, um, which then led on to this league title. But the yeah, now he's going. I think people are reflecting on that 
early part of his tenure a little bit more than the more recent struggles um, and I think people are given the broader struggles at the club given the ESL talk and all of that are putting the current state of the the team's success within the context of that a little bit more and are a bit more forgiving of sort of recent former results against uh, against the biggest side so I think it's it's a combination of those two things for me is the you know the sort of him going obviously makes you reflect on the successes but also um it's been put in that context now um which I think is quite important but what does Montemoro himself have to say when looking back on that successful season I asked him recently to cast his mind back From the day I came in, there was a there was a real focus on football. There was a real focus on creating a football culture. There was a real real importance uh, on on focusing on football solutions and football problems. And um, you know, I think um, that's been the the, the the bread and butter of, of everything that we do. Um, you know, and then obviously, um, you know, you have uh, the opportunity to to um, you know, um, I suppose, expose that. Um, uh, that that brand that you want to play, and and then you you get into a rhythm, and you get into a um, a situation where it, it just keeps snowballing and gets better and better. And um, you know, it was just it was good that we um, you know were able to get uh, that rhythm and, and find that balance uh, throughout the season, and um, and the belief of what we're doing. The game's changed since then. You know, the game the game has also changed in terms of a you know the the global pandemic and the situation. So anxieties are different. Um, squads are different, players are different. Other other um, other teams have, have obviously uh, become better in in what they do. So um, you know, it was it was it was a time, and uh, and it was a it was a, a stable place and um, and a stable situation where we hope the uh, we created that we created the base for us to go forward from there. But um, oh, good times though. As Montemore explained there, the 2018-19 season fell into place for the Gunners. Later, we'll discuss how long it might be until Arsenal lift the Women's Super League again. As a lifelong Arsenal fan, Montemore knew how to deliver football the fans wanted to see. And here our very own Molly explains what winning the Arsenal way meant and how Leah Williamson in particular encapsulated the ethos. Playing the Arsenal way... Is it obviously initially derived from the men's team and the way that they've played for so many years? If you look through kind of like the Arsene Wenger era and always being a, a possession-based side, always enjoying having the ball. And I think that that's something that Joe Montemoro brought into the team when he came because obviously he's an Arsenal fan. He grew up watching that kind of play. And I think it was watching those teams and seeing them do well is what made him want to be a coach and it's what made him want to get involved in the game and the sides that he managed, he wanted to play that way. So I think in that sense, coming to Arsenal was always going to be the perfect fit. And I think what was so good is that there is a style of play, the Arsenal way, but it also does change depending on the opponent. I think what Joe has been really good at doing is having that basis, having a goalkeeper that, you know, in the training sessions spends a lot of time with the outfield players, spends a lot of time with the ball at their feet. Obviously, you you have the centre-backs in that team led by Leah Williamson, again, more than comfortable playing in midfield. 
all of the players are interchangeable, but also they they have the ability to to grind out results as well. So I think there's always that idealistic view of of playing the Arsenal way. But I think in that title winning season, they didn't just play the Arsenal way. They they found a way to win that ended up becoming the Arsenal way for them, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that was what was so good is that so. Sometimes when, when you play a team that, that does like the ball at your feet, it can become a little bit predictable and it can become, you know, easy to play against. But in that season, the momentum just built and built and nobody could really stop them doing it, even though maybe you sort of knew what they wanted to do each game. I think it was so effective in that particular season because in the women's game, there sometimes hasn't been teams that you really look at and go, they have a philosophy. If you look at the very best women's teams, you know, Olympic Lyons, Wolfsburg, historically, and, and, you know, maybe Chelsea or whatever, you kind of look at teams that have good players, star players, but maybe they don't have that same philosophy where you go, you know, that's a Joe Montemoro team, which is what you do when you look at Arsenal. I think even now, you know, in, in this season where maybe they aren't as good as they were in that title winning season you can really identify Arsenal in the way they play and I think that was something that was quite new to the Women's Super League when Joe brought it in obviously the title winning season was his second season and he needed that little bit of time to bed in to bring the right players in to to kind of get the players used to playing the Arsenal way in a strange way because it was a very transitional period before Joe came in and I think maybe they'd lost a bit of that and they didn't really have that true identity and I think he brought that in um, and I think it is the fact that you you knew the way that Joe Montemore's teams were going to play but it's so hard to keep track of even even watching it when you're at a game you know that you know you're going to have Meadmar, you're going to have Danielle van der Donk, you're going to have Beth Mead, players like Jordan Nobbs, who obviously got injured in that season, Kim Little. They, it's almost like watching a Montemoro team playing the Arsenal way. You know where they are in a formation, but the formation almost doesn't matter because they're all, they're just as comfortable playing anywhere on the pitch. And I think that's what is so difficult to play against even when you are one of the better teams, is that you can't you can't man-mark or woman-mark any of the players because they just roam and they have this positional freedom, which I think when you see teams that maybe play this heavy possession-based kind of philosophy and haven't done it so well, it's because it becomes predictable. And I think the fact that they have so much positional flexibility means that it doesn't, it doesn't become predictable and it's so hard to mark and keep track of all the players. Um, so I think that was what made it so effective that that's quite rare. If you look at someone like, like Jordan Nobbs, for example, you could argue that she's never played as well as she did. It, it was so heartbreaking to see her get injured in that season because she was playing the best football she ever had. But it's because playing the Arsenal way with Joe's philosophy and coaching gives players so much freedom. I think Leo Williamson just completely embodies the Arsenal way. I think she, she, she's been at the club for so long. You know, we, we've all seen the, the pictures of her, you know, in the little Arsenal kits when she's growing up, going through the academy. And I think she really loves the club. And I think 
what's so nice to see that we maybe don't see as much in the women's game and is something that's really developing is that academy pathway because obviously the the talent network and the scouting is so limited compared to men's football that actually it's quite rare to have a story like Leah Williamson you know to be an Arsenal fan to, to start playing at the club when you're very young and then to come and, and lead in the way that she did and I think a lot of her qualities it's no coincidence that she plays the Arsenal way, that the way she wants to play is the way that the first team is set up. And obviously that's kind of the perfect academy prospect, I suppose, when, when you're breaking into a team. Um, she's just as comfortable playing in midfield. I think she she played there both in midfield and defence as, as the England youth player coming through. So playing at the heart of defence for a Montemoro team, you need to have that confidence and that ability on the ball. And I think she she has so much of that. She has so much confidence, even when she was a very young player and clearly the expectation on her was so big. And I think the expectation of herself was so big as well as an Arsenal fan, you know, literally living the dream. I think she always had that confidence because she had the ability to, to play in the way that Montemoro wanted her to do. For some players, maybe they came in and it was quite a big step from what they'd done. They were quality players, but they, they'd never really played like that. Whereas for Leah, it always just felt like it suited her down to the ground. And I think that season was really one where she grew in terms of her mentality, her experience. I mean, she's still only very young, but it, it did feel like a turning point for her and a, a kind of the perfect moment for that season for her to be such a crucial player. And I think it, it was quite funny that she tells a story of the last, the last um, game where they actually won the title at Brighton. And she talks about it, it being the, the worst game that she's ever played because she was so nervous and it meant so much to her. But you, you were kind of never have known because she just so seamlessly fits into that team. And I think it's something that Arsenal will look back on way beyond, you know, that season, way beyond Montemoro in the fact that playing the Arsenal way is going to be so crucial for Leah and for England, because for me, you know, she's, she's arguably the, the best centre-back in the country at the moment and she's got such a bright future. And I think it's been helped by having that confidence and that environment that, that she's playing in. Part of what made... Leah so successful and she's talked about it in the past is is the belief that that Joe had in her as a player um and she, she described the philosophy that he has on the pitch so strong and the way he wants to play is so, so clear you always have something to fall back on and I think that's what's really key when you look at playing the Arsenal way there is actually a legitimate thing I think there was sort of a running joke of Phil Neville's England having a way of the way they wanted to play, a philosophy, but no one really knew quite what that was other than playing attractive football. Whereas I think when you're a young player like Leah, that, that there are set responsibilities and Joe's quite vocal on, on the touchline in terms of coaching you individually through the game and telling you what you need to do. And I think... That's something that really helped her development and helped Arsenal as a team, knowing that they, they all had that to fall back on. That when things weren't going so well, I don't think I've ever watched an Arsenal team, particularly that season, just decide to go long ball or just change it up. They always fell back on playing the Arsenal way. 
because that's the thing that they knew would win. It, it would eventually work. They've had such belief in it. Joe has such belief in it and translates that to the players that there was always that confidence. There was never that panic to, you know, in the last 10 minutes of the game, go long ball or, or try and force it because just none of the players had that in them. It, it, there was just this men mentality and culture around the team that you play the Arsenal way and the Arsenal way will win. I think what's really uh, exciting about what um, what took place that season um, and what Molly describes as Joe kind of really, really rebuilding this Arsenal way ethos through the squad is that it meant that whoever came into the squad just slotted into it really well. So when you did get Jordan Nobbs injured um, and out for the rest of the season and missing the World Cup, there were players that could slot into those positions um, just as well. You know, the... You had um, Leah Walty really, really step up to the plate. Kim Little, um, until she got injured herself, um, really kind of stepping in and up, up, stepping up her game in the midfield. Um, Van der Donk um, also contributing. Arsenal won 18 of their 20 Women's Super League fixtures to claim the title, only losing to closest contenders Manchester City and Chelsea. Tim Stillman of Arsblog explains how beating all of the challenges opened up the path to glory. So I think it's less about the style of play per se, um, and it's more about the way the team prepares um, under Joe. I think Joe's big strength is his tactical brain, and particularly the way... Um, they they prepare for these games. So I think a really important hire that Joe made at the beginning of his second season, uh, the league title winning season, was Aaron Dantino as the assistant manager. Aaron's background is video analysis mainly. He he wears several hats. He's he's got lots of kind of fitness qualifications, but video analysis is where he made his name. And those video analysis sessions, which I think happen on a Thursday before a game on a Sunday are absolutely crucial because what they do is they will identify, not loads, they don't like overloading the players, they will identify between one and three weaknesses in the opponent. So if, um, you know, the opposing fullback gets sucked in quite a lot, like gets sucked in field, they will focus on that and they will aim for that. And the way Joe's built the squad as well, and actually I think the squad he inherited is quite versatile, so he can do different things with different players. Um, so I, I think a lot of it is down to that, is down to Joe, just Joe and Aaron really just watching other teams and just identifying a couple of things. They, they're insistent they never change the style of play. Arsenal are always a possession team. That's always what they want to be. So they won't just start playing the long ball or, or five at the back or whatever. But generally, they just focus on a couple of things in the opposition. And I think usually you see it. In the games, you will notice that oh, Arsenal went down the right-hand side a lot more than usual in this game. Or, um, you know, this player usually does this, but on this occasion they did this. And you just notice one or two extra details. So I think it's it's both Joe and Aaron's strength. So Joe's strength as a tactician, Aaron's strength as a video analyst uh, to make the sessions engaging and not to overload players. But I also think all of that together, there's a seriousness in the preparation and I spoke to I spoke to Joe about this at the end of that league title winning season and I referenced an interview I'd, I'd done post-match with uh, Dominic Bloodworth as she was then 
And uh, it was after Arsenal played Lewis in the Conti Cup and beat them 9-0. And Arsenal went to a back three that day and they put Dominic Bloodworth in the middle of the back three. And it was so obvious she was just, she was just whacking crossfield passes to the wingers all game. And that's not usually how Arsenal play. So I asked Dominique about it and she said, oh, yeah, we noticed um, in the video analysis session that Lewis's fullbacks, you know, they they like to stay out very wide. So we thought that we could, you know, we could get some space out there. And for, like Arsenal don't need to do that to beat Lewis convincingly. They don't need to do like a big video analysis session or analyse their fullbacks, but they did. And um, I think what he put in place with that is, is as well as the, the quality of the tactical preparation, just the seriousness with which every game is treated and the respect shown to every opponent. Because frankly, Arsenal could beat most of these teams most of the time without an awful lot of preparation, just on individual quality. But no matter who they're playing, if they're playing, you know, Bristol City, if they're playing London Bees in the division below, they they do proper video analysis sessions. So I think it's a mixture of, uh, and obviously the quality of the players is the biggest thing, but I think it's it's a mixture of Joe's tactical brain, Aaron's video analysis input, and all of that put together, the seriousness and professionalism with which they they treat every game. I think it's really telling as well with this kind of record against teams outside of the top three, top four, whatever you want to call it now, um, where it was only there was only one game against Reading in January, which I think had some mitigating circumstances in terms of uh, the, the uh, preparation was interrupted because of COVID cases and a lot of the girls only trained for two days before that game. But um, I, I think really what, it, what, what jumps out in the record is not that just that Arsenal win those games, they win them very convincingly. And if you look at Arsenal's goal difference this season, it's, I think it's the same as Chelsea's or close to it, even though they're, they're quite a long way back in terms of points because they, they don't just beat those teams. They thump them. They thrash them. Um, if they didn't do that level of preparation, they'd probably win most of them anyway, but probably by a lesser scoreline. So it just kind of ensures that even if they're not really at it, um, they've, they've still got room to spare um, in games like that. So I, I, I think it does. I think another thing, an, another really pivotal game in Joe's reign was at the end of his first season, Arsenal drew away at Yeovil, um, which was a, a huge shock result, like one of the shock results in WSL history, I think. And that cost them Champions League football. They finished one point away from City. And um, I think that day they had something like 33 shots on goal or something and drew nil-nil. And um, I think that kind of... I don't think that changed Arsenal's approach, but I think it, it really made something click in the players that they kind of thought, we can't let that happen again. We can't miss out on the Champions League because we've drawn away at Yeovil, who that was one of two points they collected that season. Um, so I, I think that was a little bit of a watershed moment as well that, that just reinforced the fact that... Because I, I think when joe picked arsenal up they were a cup team they were inconsistent they were capable of brilliance but didn't show it every week i think that really kind of rammed home to them the importance of i, I don't think they didn't take the oval game seriously i think if anything they they um they took it too seriously and they weren't calm um and they were lashing at finishes and things like that and i think that that was really almost like a, a comparison point for them to say right let's not let that happen again because 
leagues are going to be one champions league place is going to be won by one or two points so let's make sure that it's not because we drew nil-nil with Yeovil essentially City in particular just had like the odd draw that they shouldn't have drawn and you know you know as well as I do from the press conferences Joe will always say that um, you know every game has equal weighting I mean it, it doesn't really those um, those games at the top do carry a bit more weight but um, you know, he will always say, look, even if you win one of those games, if you then just go and lose to Brighton or Reading um, a week later, then it doesn't really count for much. So it, it is hugely important. Um, and I do think, you know, in the big games, Arsenal, have, there are a few things going on that they haven't been able to solve a bit of a tactical problem. But I think they've lost some confidence in those games as well. But these games against the the, the teams they should be, it's almost like muscle memory for them, I think. And uh, I think you're seeing that with the way they're playing, you know, at the moment, the way they're ending this season. Um, they're they're beating these teams quite convincingly. Hopefully that's still the case by the time this goes out. <laughs> um, but so so it's almost like they, they can look at a run in like this and think, OK, we, we know we can win these games and we can win them really well. And they're, they're starting to relax and enjoy their football. So I think it's where they feel that, real pressure in the big games now I just don't think they feel it in um, in games like you know going to somewhere like the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and playing Spurs where all the expectations on them all the pressures on them the hosts have you know really rightly like ramped this game up put it in the big stadium didn't bother them at all didn't bother them one iota um, and, and I think that is that is down to the, the quality of preparation. But I think doing it over a long period of time has given them it's, it's the opposite of what happens to them in the big games. It's it's I won't say comfort, but it's it's almost like, yeah, it, it's muscle memory now. I think a lot of these games for them. Tim mentioned there the integral parts of the build up to games that Aaron brings to Arsenal at the moment. Do you think that that's something that uh, presumably he will leave with Joe Montemore at the end of the season? That will be a, a big impact for, for the team to prepare differently going into games? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you know, I think it's highly likely that Aaron goes with him, um, another Australian. Um, and I'm assuming whoever does come in is going to want to bring their own people to the table. We'd hope that tactics and being a master tactician will be one of them because it'd be sad to see Arsenal lose that side of the game. I think there is also an element of um, since that that season where that kind of strategy was so effective, it's been a little bit found out in sort of the more recent uh, couple of years because you... I think teams have known that Arsenal play a certain way, have a clear identity, know what their strategy is um, and have sort of worked out how you counter that. Um, so in a way, I think that there, there does need a to be a, a little bit of freshness to that approach going forward. Plenty of Montemoro's squad played their part in helping to secure the title, but arguably none more so than Vivian Miedemar, who scored an unrivaled 22 league goals. Here, Susie goes into the finer details of the Dutch striker's impact. I think uh, Midham was definitely critical to that title-winning campaign that ended that that barren, barren spell. Um, but at the same time, um, the goals were coming from everywhere in that season. Um, but I think the, why Viv became so critical is that she, 
in that season was that she managed to stay fit. Um, and so many of the Arsenal sort of traditional first 11 um, that, that kind of started the season didn't um, didn't stay fit for the whole of the season. So many of them got injured. Um, and as they dropped, Viv was still there sort of battling God. I remember her saying at one point that she was just really, really exhausted um, and de- in desperate need of a rest. Um, but she still kept scoring, you know, even when she said, you know, I'm, I'm shattered. I don't feel at my best. She was still scoring. And I think without the, without those goals from Viv, they wouldn't have won the league um, because the injuries were just too much. And if she hadn't been a part of the, the players that had managed to stay fit for the duration of that season, then it, it wouldn't have happened because the, you know, the injuries were just so, so huge. She was brutally effective in that um, title-winning season uh, for Arsenal. In that season, she scored 22 goals in 20 games. She scored 31 in all competitions. Um, I think after eight league games, she had scored 10 goals. Um and was only 23 at the time. So, like, hugely, uh, hugely talented striker. And I, the reason I think she was so successful in that year in particular, um, although, I mean, she hasn't really slowed down in any sense either, but, that, you know, so potent in that year is um, the culmination of a number of things in that, uh, well, I mean, she had a really, really good Arsenal team around her that just held themselves together enough to, to get through the season despite a huge number of injuries um, and sacrifice sort of cup competitions in order to maintain that league run despite quite a freakish injury run. Um, and she stayed fit and that that was pretty key. Um, but then also I think she was still a little bit of an unknown even though she had been in the league um, for a year and a half or something or two close to two years. Um, I don't think anyone had realised just quite how dangerous she was until that season. I mean, they knew she was a good striker, but I don't think they realised, you know, that she was sort of a world-class striker. Um, And I think slotting into that front forward line at the time, you know, with Beth Mead and, uh, you know, various players, Lisa Evans or Daniel van der Donk, um, it was a very balanced forward line um, that enabled her to switch up and swap a lot and nip in and out of um, of sort of kind of a bit of a deeper role to a, to the more out and out role that she's kind of become known for. And yeah, so I'd say that that was a big part of it, that she um, wasn't necessarily known as the key striker that that she is and players didn't quite mark her out of the game so much as they do now um for me that's the only reason why she sort of maybe not hit the exact same heights although she's not really dipped much but it's it's more that other teams are aware of just how dangerous she is in so many different areas of the pitch and the role she plays off the ball a lot more um so they're very very careful in marking her out the game or putting so many players on her, but Arsenal still score because that then, you know, releases the likes of Jill Raud, um, uh and Van der Donk and others to, to fly forward and, and make use of the space that she's created. 
as a player, I'd say um, that she's probably one of the most exciting forwards to play women's football in sort of the modern era of the game. Um, she's an instinctively natural goal scorer, but with a very aloof way of playing in that, you know, she often looks a little bit like she's missing in games, but is actually doing a far, far more than you think. She's just very, very smart at sort of conserving her energy um, and reading the game so, so well that she, when she does something, it matters. Um, like her record is incredible. She's, I mean, she scored um, 92 goals in 100 games for Arsenal. She's the Netherlands record um, goal scorer, 71 goals in 95 games for them. Um, and yeah, just this absolutely incredible record can play as a number nine out and out, can play, you know, can switch onto the wings, can play a bit deeper as a number 10. Um, and then what is, I suppose, endearing about her is that she's got this sort of to match her sort of aloof, seemingly aloof style of play. She's got this quite aloof personality, like a really dry sense of humour that is just really enjoyable um to 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 watch her do interviews to to interview her is particularly fun um she's you know great answers to things i interviewed her not that long ago and asked her about um uh you know sort of her her rise to becoming a meme and um having goat emojis after her name and stuff and she said until a year ago I didn't even know what uh goat actually meant uh she said I was like it's not really nice for people to call me a goat it's not the best animal to be um and then her partner Lisa Evans who also plays for Arsenal had to explain to her what it actually meant um and yeah just like that you know one of my favorite gifts of her is her sitting like what looks like eating an ice cream I'm assuming it's a yogurt or something while she's on Netherlands camp with dark glasses on in shorts and a t-shirt and she's sitting at the feet of a bunch of exercise bikes and a whole load of Netherlands players are cycling away in the like hot sun of the Women's World Cup and she's sitting there chilling in dark glasses eating some kind of like cool uh, food item um, and that sort of sums her up. She's, she, you know, she would describe herself as lazy, but she's like the least lazy person, like in terms of, like on the pitch, um, that you could that you could that you could watch. She's just so incredibly efficient and effective uh, at what she does. Um, but yeah, just just like super super enjoyable to to watch play. If you look at when Meza Ertzel joins Arsenal and um and, and was doing sort of really really wonderful things but at the same time looked quite separated I suppose from the uh from the play and what was going on on the pitch um it's sort of quite similar to that when you watch Viv in that you know she's 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 there she's stalking the pitch she's watching the play um and she's pulling players in and out of position um but it looks like she's being very lazy but she's not. She's being like super, super effective and efficient with her energy. And then she'll have these massive bursts of speed and pace and, uh, and, and flick and trick the ball around and play beautiful passes. And then, it, you know, sort of different to 
Ertzel in that you know plays a slightly different position, but incredible finisher as well, um, which is just another level to it. So there's definitely that aspect of it that um, that the kind of similarity with with a men's player in that yeah this this I, I like to think of it a little bit uh you know for probably wrong player to pick for an Arsenal fan, but a little bit like Berbatov as well. Um, I'd say she you know she. Uh, Horrible to compare the men's to women's game like this, but I'd say she's probably a better player than Berbatov in a sense. In that, I think she does more for the team as a whole. But but just this presence of of uh, and aura of not doing much but actually doing a hell of a lot. If Miedema was a relative unknown in that season, she's certainly not now. Although it doesn't appear to have made her any easier to stop for WSL defences having recently made her 100th Arsenal appearance, scoring a remarkable 92 goals and a whole host of assists. With the news that Montemuro is to leave and with increased competition at the top of the WSL, Arsenal may face another wait to add another league title to their trophy cabinet. Molly and I are now joined by TalkSport's Faker Others and Emma Sanders of the BBC to discuss the future challenges of Montemuro's successor. Faye, I wonder how long you think it will be until... Arsenal managed to kind of recreate the dominance that they did have in that 2018-19 season. Do you think it it's something that they can easily do? Or? I don't think anybody's going to have dominance in the Women's Super League for the next few years. I think it's become so competitive now that it, 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 which is a great thing. Um, sorry, all Arsenal fans out there, but I don't think there is going to be one one team dominating. And certainly for Arsenal, the fact that they're they're potentially going to scrape into the Champions League spots, and only because UEFA have changed uh, the rules that there are only going to that there are now going to be three teams instead of two. You know, they could have been without Champions League football again, and they've only just really edged it over Manchester United towards the end of the season. So. Based on that and the type of manager that Joe Montemuro is, and if he can't do that, it's going to take quite a special coach to come in and also a lot of backing from, from the club. And of course, today we're hearing that potentially Arsenal may have a new backer, a new owner coming in and shaking things up. I know that's you know a very controversial uh, thing, but Stan Kroenke is not particularly uh, popular. Um, and Vinay has always been really supportive of, of the women's team. You just don't know what's going to happen if it did change, if the club did change hands. So I think it's going to take a long time. They're going to have to get the right coach. Who that is, I'm not sure, because Joe Montemuro is such a, a player manager. He's very good at looking after his players and you and you need that. Um, so I think it's going to take them a while to, to try and find a suitable replacement. And then it's going to take that replacement a while to get themselves bedded in and do what they want to do. So I think it's going to be a while before they're really challenging uh, Manchester City and Chelsea in particular. I think it could be a while because they need to, first of all, catch up with the likes of Manchester City and Chelsea and then obviously take over them. And at the same time, those two squads are obviously building, they're recruiting, they're improving as well. And you look at the players that Emma Hayes in particular at Chelsea has brought in, that's a squad built you know, to compete in the Champions League and that's a squad built to compete in several competitions at the same time. So there's depth there, which I don't think... Arsenal certainly don't have yet um, and I don't quite think Man City have got the same level of depth perhaps as what Chelsea have got in this in the sense of you know there's players who can interchange in positions etc so um, I think that's what the problem is going to be is that while that that squad at Chelsea continues to play with each other and learn more from each other and develop as a squad 
Um, Arsenal are going to be playing catch up with a couple of years behind. So um, I think it's quite worrying for Arsenal fans because I think I think they need to recruit fast. Um, they need some investment. They need to bring some players in. And like I say, I think they they'll then need that time. Um, so they're going to try and have they're going to have to try and sort of fast forward that and and catch up catch up with those teams at the top. So it could be you know four, five, six years. I think personally. So the thing is, I think there's one lesson to take from uh, Man United's journey is that you can achieve success very, very quickly in women's football because the bar is quite low um, overall. You know, in 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 the grand scale of, of football generally, the bar is quite low. So the fact that Man United have been able to go from being founded to competing for the Champions League and at the start of the season compete for the title within the space of three years shows that if there's a will, there's a way. The problem Arsenal have got is I don't think the will is there um, at the moment, um, at like board level or above or ownership level or whatever it may be. Um, and, and until that changes, I think whatever manager comes in is going to have a tough time because they're going to be doing what Joe's been doing, which is sort of, as he keeps saying, managing within his means, <laughs> um, which is not um, is not the way you want to be running a football club competing for titles. You want to be, be given everything you ask for. You know, Emma Hayes is given... Not probably, you know, she'd probably say not everything she's asked for she's given, but she's given a huge amount of what she asked for, you know, 90% probably at least um, of, of what she demands for the team she gets. Um, and that's the kind of that's the kind of backing you need. Um, and I don't think we're going to see that at Arsenal. Um, as Faye said, you know, obviously the the ownership of the club is, is in question and in doubt and, you know, fans are, have, have never really taken to Cronkay. He's got a terrible reputation um over in the states um of uh, of his manager uh, of his ownership of um the LA Rams um he, you know no real history of actually properly investing in um in squads in managers in that kind of side of the game you know a little bit of infrastructure here and there but beyond that not you know he's sort of happy to coast um and just you know let the money roll in and 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 suck out of the club rather than invest for success um as long as the club is competing at a certain level and still bringing money in then i you know i don't think there is necessarily that big desire to to compete at the top level and that filters right down to the women's team you know as long as they're doing okay enough um then then i think you know they're happy enough um the the one catalyst could be the money coming in as a result of the broadcast rights deal next season. And I think that will make every single club look up and say, hang on a second, we're suddenly getting a bit more money into the team than we ever have before. There's a lot more potential here. Let's have a sit down and have a chat about whether we go all in on this and kind of have a long-term vision for uh, for making money out of this project or not. And I feel like that is the sort of position Arsenal are in already, is what do we do? Um, do we go for it or do we are we just sort of happy to exist in the way that, that is sort of now becoming a little bit too familiar in that we can beat everyone except the top teams? Um, and yeah, no matter which manager comes in, I think they're going to have those problems. We, we saw under Arsene Wenger for the men's side that, that when the, the trophies stopped coming and the success wasn't quite so easy, so some of the players left and, and things like that. Do you, do you foresee that that happening to the women's team? Unfortunately, yeah, I think I think Susie's exactly right. Players like Vivian Miedemar and um, many of the other international players, of which Arsenal have many, are going to want to go and ply their trade elsewhere where they can fill their own trophy cabinet because they'll have their own goals to make. And it's not a long career, is it? So, you know, if, if you're not at a club that is ambitious, whether or not 
you're a fan of that club or not. You can remain a fan of that club and not play for that club. Um, they're going to have to, in terms of their own careers, particularly a pivotal moment for women's football at the moment where they can, you know, you, you can coast along here or you can go up here in terms of commercial level, everything involved in, in what's going on at the moment. And I, I presume agents are going to be highlighting that to them um, and, and and they're going to have to listen, really, because it's it's really important. And obviously that's not the be all and end all for many of these players. Playing their football and enjoying their football is more important. But if you're at a club that doesn't have any ambition, I don't see how you can fully enjoy your football. And Emma, how important do you think it is to get the next recruitment right? Obviously, Joe Montemoro is, is leaving at the end of the season. And if players are going to come in, there needs to be this almost new era built, how important is is getting the right person in to make sure that the, the players fit that project? Really important because kind of what I, I was touching on before, the fact that they, they're already playing catch-up, I think means that their recruitment, they can't really afford to fall behind any further. So their recruitment has to be absolutely spot on so that they can try and close the gap as quickly as possible. And at the same time, hope that, you know, Chelsea and Manchester City aren't also adding and adding and adding to the same kind of level. So I think the, the recruitment's important. I think the investment's important. But then I also think keeping, you know, some of the big players this summer in particular is going to be a really, really important thing for them to do. You know, the likes of, of Miedemar and Williamson and Nobbs, who have obviously been getting, you know, interest from elsewhere. I think that's equally as important is keeping that sort of core group of Arsenal players together and then building around those players. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's going to be a really a really tough job for the new manager coming in because not only have they got to sort of focus all their attention on their recruitment, it's keeping hold of those players, but then also trying to find ways in which they can beat the top two teams because Arsenal haven't been able to do that this season. You know, I was looking through their results earlier, and I think you know they've they've drawn one, lost four in all competitions against Chelsea, Manchester City this season, and for a team that won the title two years ago, that's that's not good enough. So. They need to try and bridge that gap. So it's going to be it's going to be a tough job for the new manager coming in, definitely. Everton were fantastic at the beginning of the season as well, tailed off again towards the end. I'll be really interested to see what Leicester can do because Leicester have already got a lot of backing. And I, I think that they will attack the WSL in a slightly different way to, to the way Aston Villa have done um, as a newly promoted team. And then, of course, Tottenham now, although they're not challenging at the moment, they've got a fantastic coach in Rianne Skinner um, in charge. The club are finally starting to, to take it seriously. They're, they're training, you know, at, at the fantastic facility is its main training ground. So there's a lot more competition in the league, full stop. When you then look at Manchester United and what Casey Stoney has done there, yeah, I think it's going to be really tough for Arsenal even just to qualify for the Champions League again. And who do you think is in the frame for getting that job over? It's difficult to say at the moment. I don't know who will be coming in immediately. Um, I think they need somebody with top European experience, somebody who um, understands the way that the WSL runs. So, you know, I think the WSL calendar is quite tricky in the sense it's quite broken. Um, this is something that a lot of managers have complained about before. So somebody who's had experience in England would be would be really good. I think in terms of like a long-term manager coming in, I think you've got obviously like the likes of like young managers like Carla Ward, who's obviously done really well at Birmingham and Sheffield United. She's obviously been linked with with uh, lots of jobs, you know, going recently, you know, West Ham, Liverpool, et cetera. So I think 
it'll be interesting to see her development because Arsenal in the long term could be quite an interesting prospect for someone like her. That concludes the latest Arsenal Beat special. All of our previous episodes remain available, as does the entire back catalogue. Next month's special, Behind Emery Lines, will see our panel look back at Unai Emery's 18-month reign as Arsenal head coach, three years on from his appointment. Stay safe. <laughs>